From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Tammy Lee's career has taken her from journalism to corporate affairs to politics to foundation work to president and CEO of a biotech company and then another and then another. Her latest role is founder and CEO of Xena Therapies, which recently introduced products for orthopedic injuries and for women going through menopause. Her career trajectory is proof that, well, anything is possible. Hi, Tammy. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Allison. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I wish we were in person. We're not quite back to our old um, tiny little studio at the University of St. Thomas. So, so tell us where you're calling in from today. I'm calling in from the Xena Therapies manufacturing plant in Red Wing, Minnesota. Lovely Red Wing. Have you been going to work the whole time or how has the pandemic impacted uh, your, your work? Well, we launched this company in February and had to shut down in March because of the COVID crisis. But now we've got about half the people back to work in the plant. Um, So we're we're slowly ramping back up. And uh, once we get into July, we hope to be at, at full speed and have all of our employees back. So the pandemic affected us like it affected everyone. Um, uh, orders were shut down. Business was, you know, slow. Um, but we're working our way back to full throttle here in Red Wing. Great. Well, we'll we'll talk a little more about that when we get to the Xena Therapies chapter. But we have a bunch of other chapters we have to go through first because you have a very long resume. <laughs> so so maybe let's just start. I, I'm working on a theory here. It's a by all means theory, Tammy. We have had so many guests on this show, entrepreneurs, CEOs, who have a background in journalism. And this is very surprising to me because I always thought journalists were people like me who were avoiding <laughs> numbers. <laughs> but, yeah, but do you think, I mean, first of all, I guess a two-part question. Number one, when you started in journalism, would you ever have experienced expected you'd be running a biotech company? And two, did that journalism background set you up for the leadership roles you've had? That's such an interesting hypothesis, Allison, because I never in a million years thought I would be CEO of a biotech company (laughs) and then founder of a medtech company. Um, But what I think the common thread is for those of us that are entrepreneurs, we are naturally curious about learning about new things. And when you go into journalism, I think that's your primary driver. You love to hear other people's stories. You love to learn about them. And you love to tell a story that's compelling to your audience. And founders um, and entrepreneurs are very much that way. They've got a story about a product that they want to tell the world or a really good idea that they want to bring into the marketplace. Hmm. Okay, so there's hope for me, basically. I could yeah, still... Yeah, you can, you can start your own med tech company, too. <laughs> right. Okay. Here, take one of mine. I've got a couple here. <laughs> yes, you do. So so tell us about your your roots in journalism, and were you did, were you someone who grew up knowing that was the path you wanted to, to head down, or what would you have told me you wanted to be back when you were in, like, high school? 
Yeah, when I, I think when I was in fourth grade, I grew up in a really small town, Kensington, Minnesota. My graduating class only had 34 students in it. Um, but from the time I was young, I knew that I wanted to get out into the much bigger world um, beyond the, the walls of Kensington, Minnesota. Uh, so from an early age, I really was fascinated with journalism and TV news. I remember watching Jane Pauley on the hmm. Today Show. And then as I got older, Katie Couric, and thinking, boy, that's the kind of life that I'd like to lead. I just had such uh, admiration for these amazing female role models in journalism. Sure. And and what was the, the highlight of your journalism career? Oh, gosh. You know, I was covering breaking news um, when I lived out in Washington, D.C., and I got to cover the White House and Capitol Hill during the Clinton years. So that was a really interesting time because it was the the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Mm. Uh, and there's always something happening um, in Washington, D.C. So I would say the best times in my life were really um, that marriage of news and politics because I'm such a political junkie as well. And having a front row seat and being in the White House press corps was just really the time of my life. And I was so young then, you know, I was in my 20s. And at that point, you really think anything is possible in the world. But I never, ever imagined a possibility would be going down the path that would lead me to CEO of a med tech company. <laughs> right. Who were you working for when you were covering the, the White House and working in D.C.? When I moved out to uh, Washington, D.C., I, I worked for Hubbard. Um, and they had uh, the All News Channel then, and they were, had affiliates around the country that they would provide news feeds for. So I worked for Hubbard, and then I got recruited over to the brand-new Fox News Channel Bureau and didn't really know what Fox News was all about. Um, the tagline, Fair and Balanced, was not exactly what I learned about fair and balanced growing up in Kensington, Minnesota. So I didn't stay long with Fox News, and I actually then crossed over from news over to politics, um, from covering political news to actually helping create it when I went to work for U.S. Senator Byron Dorgan as his press secretary. And how was that experience? What did you think about being on the other side? I loved it. Um, I um, loved working on the Hill. I was a political science and communications double major, so this was a great opportunity to take what I had done in TV news and covering politics to actually helping be part of the team that was shaping public policy. And I loved working for Senator Dorgan uh, from North Dakota. He's a, a prairie populist, a very moderate uh, Democrat, and that really aligned with my politics as well. And so I, I really felt like it was a great opportunity to be part of actually helping influence public policy and make change in Washington. Were you starting to think you wanted to run for office back then? No, I, you know, everything I've done in my, my life, Allison, has been quite accidental. I don't think I ever really thought or had a flight plan or roadmap to where I was going to be. I just have loved learning about everything that I've done or that I've been part of. Um, back to that journalism background, just being naturally curious and wanting to learn more. So, no, I did not aspire um, to be uh, an elected official um, when I was working on the Hill. I just loved working, you know, in Washington, D.C. and being part of that, that exciting environment. But there was a, there was a run for office, but maybe we should do we should talk about your corporate communications before that. We'll go chronologically here. 
Well, yeah, corporate <laughs> communications kind of jumped in and out of my run for office. I ran for office right in the middle of that in 2006. So I had been in corporate communications working for Sun Country Airlines and U.S. Airways um, in Washington, D.C. I went back out to Washington to work for U.S. Airways. Um, and then in the middle of that, I, I decided to run for office. And and what, what was it? What finally made you think, okay, I'm a candidate? It was one of those opportunistic uh, timelines or timing. Um, I loved public policy and loved working uh, on Capitol Hill. And Martin Sabo um, in the 5th Congressional District, after, you know, decades of serving in public office, announced he was retiring. So it was just really a unique uh, wrinkle in time that I thought, there might be an opportunity to, to try that and to, to actually serve in public office myself. Um, but the 5th District of Minneapolis is very um, liberal. Um, there are a lot of Democratic candidates running at that time, and my politics are actually uh, much more uh, mainstream, moderate. So I ran as an independent, uh, somebody who's fiscally moderate and socially progressive, and those are just pretty difficult headwinds in in the fifth district of Minneapolis. So, I did not win that campa- campaign for office, but I learned a lot about myself, about politics, and uh, campaigning. And so, it was a great experience that that while I didn't win that campaign, I think the way that I ran that campaign really opened up the next great opportunity in my life, which was getting recruited to go to Northwest Airlines as their head of corporate communications. Do you feel like that that whole experience did it cure you of wanting to run for office, or could that, or would you do it again? Yeah. I, you know, I often get asked that. I, I, I don't see myself ever running for office again. Um, but I never saw myself as CEO of a, a med tech company. Uh, I think if there were a compelling reason, um, I would consider it. Uh, but only if there was something that I needed to do in, in a way to serve that, that made sense. Uh, I can't imagine right now doing anything different than what I'm doing, which is running a med tech company. I absolutely love being in medical technology and creating products that really help people live better lives. So for me, that seems like a higher, better calling than public office right now. Right. So, so you you went to to um, into corporate communications or back to corporate communications. You had a lot of experience in the travel industry. Then, at a certain point, you switch into this world of biotech. That seems like a big change. How did that happen? It was a, a huge change, and why nobody who looked at my resume or background would ever have put me in this place. Um, because my experience really was in in hospitality and travel. Um, but the skill set that that company needed was in uh, all the things that I had done. Um, that company being – oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that company being Recombinetics. Okay. So after I was – served my time at Northwest and then Delta Airlines and Carlson Companies and, and at the U for a little while – um, I got recruited into Recombinetics initially to really come in into the number two role to help set up processes and uh, make sure that they had uh, uh, the right employees in place, create structure, um, 
help with their corporate affairs leading the government approvals for gene-edited technology, which was in the sweet spot of the work that I had done at Northwest and, and Delta, understanding politics and corporate affairs. And back to that, uh, those journalist roots, I didn't know anything about gene editing, but loved learning about it. And so um, I, I learned about the technology, helped get the business stabilized. And uh, then when the CEO before me um, parted ways with the company, the board named me as interim CEO while they were going to do a search. And after about four weeks, they named me permanent CEO. Hmm. Um, because I'd already been doing a lot of, I'd already basically been running the day-to-day business of the company prior to that, so it was just a natural transition. How do you? But what, I didn't what? have any scientific background. I mean, I was a political science major right. and had <laughs> had a, a a science class since tenth grade biology, so not the natural choice for that. But what the board really needed was somebody who could tell the story of recombinetics mm. and raise the capital that they needed to really launch the company into the future and, and get the company into the right markets. And as a journalist and somebody who has raised capital while running for office or at the University of Minnesota, I knew how to tell a story and I knew how to ask for money. Hmm. And uh, that's how we ended up raising the $34 million that the company needed to really launch into the next chapter. That's amazing. And that's super interesting. I'm curious what the dynamic was like internally at Recombinetics when you're not that, you know, sciencey person, but you're running a company that's doing something very technical. Is that difficult? I mean, is that a difficult leadership position to be in? Well, I think it's it's like anything. Um, you know, you if you if you admit what you don't know and ask people for help, a lot of people are willing to cut you some slack. And the the science team, the lab team at Recombinetics knew me um, from working in the number two role. And so I think they already had a good opinion of me. So I wasn't coming in cold from the outside. But to your point, it's also finding the right skill set that bolstered the areas that I didn't have. So I asked somebody who was serving on the board, uh, Mitch Abrahamson, uh, if he would step into uh, the number two role working with me to help raise the capital. And his background is he has a Ph.D. in biochemistry. He taught at the U before going into the private sector and uh, and a biotech startup himself, and then uh, into big companies running global R&D for Colgate-Palmolive's pet food division and then uh, Tyson Foods genetic company. So he had all the skills that I didn't have, so we just made a great team when we went out to the marketplace. So your point is spot on, Allison. I, I would not have been the natural choice, but I found somebody whose skills complemented mine that made that work. Yeah, smart way to do it. Don't tell my kids, though, that you didn't have that science background. That's that's <laughs> not going to help me get them to keep taking those classes. Well, and I, you know, I wish I would have done more of that because I loved learning about it. I loved learning about how genetics and gene editing technology work. But in a small town like Kensington, we didn't have a whole array of options for science courses beyond basic science. And and my brain was so wired on the other side, loving English classes and speech and all the things that you think of for somebody who wants to become a journalist. I just wasn't focused on that area. Sure. But I do encourage all girls to get active in math and science. My daughter is a great example of that. She loves science. She loves math. She's got all of the the brain power in her head that I certainly don't have. But (laughs) 
hope that I can, you know, make up for with other assets. Yeah, I think you've got a few leadership skills that might help her. Um, and speaking of skills that you do have, that that raising of money, which becomes such a key trait when you are a, a founder and obviously an attractive thing for, for a startup. So how, how did you do it? How did you know how to raise money? We hear how challenging it is, particularly for women. Um, what were your experiences? Yeah, you're right. Um, less than uh, 2% of all venture capital goes to women-owned, women-led companies. So I, I feel very fortunate that we were able to secure the $34 million for Recombinetics. But we had a great story to tell, and the science and technology at that company were unique and, and only in the space. And so we just had to re- find the right audiences to to get that message to. But it's it's an arduous process. I think uh, Mitch and I probably did 60 or 70 different investor pitches. And it's like anything, you just need one um, that's really going to work for you at the end of the day. And we, we did find that investor, but we the, the challenge, of course, is trying to find lots of interested parties so that you can get the right deal on the table. Sure. And so I feel fortunate that we were able to do that. But it's there are lots of great companies who have great technologies, but if you can't tell the story and differentiate yourself, you'll you'll never get the capital that you need. So back to that storytelling aspect, the ability to communicate clearly about what the value proposition is for that company, where I think was, was what made us successful. Yeah, such a good point. Just real briefly before we move on to the next company, what, what exactly does Recombinetics do for those who don't know? Recombinetics is based in St. Paul. Well, actually, they've, they've recently moved their, their labs to, down to, I think they're in Egan now, and they're a gene editing technology company. It's a platform um, where they can gene edit animal cells to find cures for human diseases. So one of their divisions called Surgeon um, has these pig models that can exactly mimic the disease condition of a human, whether it's heart disease or kidney disease or different kinds of cancer, they create these medical models that can be used for testing of pharmaceuticals or other devices and hopefully help find a clinical pathway to get that product to market. So that's one of the companies. Another one of their divisions called Accelogen actually would gene edit animal cells for health and welfare traits. So they could gene edit cows that were born without horns so they didn't have to be dehorned on the dairy farm so hmm. that's a that's a health and wellness and welfare trade and they can gene edit cattle that are called slick so they're more heat resistant and can provide better protein sources in places that are really hot climates where where the cattle might not produce as much meat or milk so really interesting technology using what we knew about genetics and genetic gene editing tools to create better conditions for both human and animals. Very interesting. So we've got one more stop on the career train before we get to today. We have to just talk briefly about NanoCore. What made you decide it was time to leave Recombinetics, and how did the NanoCore uh, experience come about? Well, um, Recombinetics uh, was just a, it was a great experience, and I learned so much about medtech, biotech, and it was my first CEO role. Um, but 
for every company and different uh, season in the company's life cycle, there's there's a you know a different and right leader, and I felt like I had done what I needed to do at Recombinetics to raise the capital and stabilize it, and I was ready to move into a new challenge and got recruited um, for this company called Nanocorp because of what I did at Recombinetics and raising the capital and and creating a successful business model. Um, the owners of Nanocore were actually based out in California, so they weren't from Minnesota. They had acquired a technology in a company based in Red Wing, but weren't from here. Um, and I came down to Red Wing, fell in love with the people in the plant who are just the most amazing, hardworking team of people who know how to make great products and just really became a fan of the technology, the phase change material technology, because again, this is... This was an only in its space, um, kind of like the recombinetics value proposition. This is a technology that wasn't being applied in this way. So I was really excited about the chance to join that company. So what was Nanocore doing? What were they making? They were making products that were predecessors to some of the products that we're making today. Wearable medical cool therapy devices for knee, back, and shoulder pain. Um, and also they have one product for women with menopause, uh, a cool vest. Um, and so a smaller array of products than what we're making today at Xena Therapies, um, but, but the same kind of technology as what we're using here. And what, um, you said cooling, can you explain a little more? I mean, what, what is new about this? What makes it unique? Yeah, so it, unlike ice, which when you use an ice pack, if you have an acute injury or pain, putting ice on it will give you relief, but you have to cycle it on or off because it becomes too cold or it can cause, you know, frostbite or ice burn on the area. So people don't like to use ice for very long periods of time because it's too cold and can create skin damage. Unlike ice, this phase change material that we have in our cool therapy devices actually draws the heat and inflammation away from the injured area and it's specially formulated to an optimal 58 degrees, which is doctor recommended for healing and for injury repair. So it's not too cold like ice is, and it's comfortable and easy to wear. And you can, you know, you can run with the knee device on. You can play golf with the shoulder device on if you want to. You can move around with the back hip product. So these are devices that are just the right temperature and designed for active use. Okay. So you can move around while using them. And no one else had done that. That's amazing. No, they hadn't. Uh, this technology using phase change material actually was first used um, in a contract for the Department of Defense and U.S. Uh, Army in Iraq and Afghanistan, put in these little um, pockets to cool the equipment over there because it would get so hot. Uh, and then the soldiers uh, started putting these these cold therapy packs using phase change material inside their fatigues hmm. against their skin because it felt so good. And that's where the idea f for creating a wearable product came. And then uh, we did some research. This, the predecessor company did some research around different applications and continued to improve the design so that these products could be worn directly against the skin and designed for active use. So interesting. So you didn't stay at Nanocore very long. And when, when that news broke, I thought, Tammy Lee is up to something. I know you well <laughs> enough. 
love to know how you're always on to the next thing. So so what can you say about, you know, how things went at Nanocore and how it how it what you learned from that experience and how it set you up for today? Yeah, you know, I uh, what I what I learned from Nanocore is these products are phenomenal, the cool therapy products, but they didn't have the right business plan. They didn't have the right access to capital to make that company successful and never provided the resources. This this California-based company didn't provide the resources that the team in Red Wing really needed to be successful. So when I left Nanocore, it's because they stopped paying me. They ran out of money. And then they ended up closing the doors in Red Wing. And all of those great employees were out of work. Um, And that happened in December. How, How big was the team? Uh, they had 10 people then, and I think we've got 12 people now when we get back up to full scale. Um, so in January, after the doors had closed on Nanocore, I secured the financing on my own to relaunch the company and hire all the employees back in February. Mm-hmm. And then, as I mentioned, COVID happened, so launched in February, shut down in March. Yeah, and now is... we're um, back open again about at, at half staff and hope to be have everyone back in July. That's brutal timing. Um, but, I, but I'm but i curious, a couple things before we get to, to what happened with the, the pandemic. Um, d- how did you get the rights to, I mean, did they have patents? Did they, I mean, how, how did you acquire the, the rights to those products? Yeah, so phase change material has been around for a long time, over 20 years, as I mentioned. Um, so the patent life on those has expired. Um, we did. I did acquire a, a license to the patent from one of the the um, inventors for the cool therapy product for women with menopause. So that's the only one that has a patent that's been published that's still active. All of the other patents um, have since expired. Got it. What's unique and why I'm why we're still kind of an only in this space is because of the know-how of how to use the temperature, the, the right chemical formulation at the right temperature, and how you create and design this form-fitting wearable product, that's information that these employees know how to do and are expert at. And then that combined with the patent that I really needed to have the license to for the cool therapy wrap, we were able to launch a company. Got it. And beyond what they had in the old company, we redesigned the products that to be a little more uh, anatomically form-fitting, so we enhanced the products, and I invented and created some new products, too, that didn't exist in, in the prior uh, company. For example, our, our Gal Pals, which are cool therapy bra inserts, were a brainchild that we had and, and launched in the new company. And there'll be other products like that, that you'll see coming down the road, too, where we get great feedback from our customers, and they say, oh, could you make one of these, or have you thought about this? And so we'll continue to expand the line as as we come up with more uh, product ideas. Um, could we go back to the Gal Pals for just a minute? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Those are cool inserts? Yeah, they're Gal Pals, so they're, they're <laughs> these bra, cooling bra inserts. So using phase change material, we design these Gal Pals that go inside your bra, and uh, cool your chest area for about 30 minutes. And then uh, when when the, the cool has been pulled out of the product, um, you can pop them back in your refrigerator. Um, and 30 minutes later, they're ready to go again. And this is why we so, need women running med tech companies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we call our gal pals your new breast friend. <laughs> 
So I, it's interesting to me. I mean, from from the name on to all the products, Xenotherapy is this new company that you've created. I mean, you really are taking kind of a female focused approach. I mean, you've got the the orthopedic products that for knees and shoulders, but I mean, you're really focusing on women. Obviously, that's a conscious decision. Yeah. So yeah, the other company uh, predecessor companies were really more uh, focused on the sports medicine market and orthopedics, so much more of sort of a male-dominated voice and brand. Um, and we, we still have those products under our Onyx Cool brand of products. Um, but Opal are all products that are really focused on women and women's health. And uh, when we were coming up with the name, the name Opal, we, came, we you know, brainstormed a lot of different names, but OPA are the three middle letters in menopause. Hmm. And uh, opal's also a watery stone, and it's got a lot of healing uh, qualities to it. And so there's a lot of symbolism and meaning around the brand opal. So we actually named opal first and then came up with uh, opal's brother company instead of a sister company is (laughs) Onyx, which are the cool therapeutic products for sports injuries and uh, injury repair. And did it just click for you, Tammy, right from the start when you learned about this technology that there was a lot of potential here for, for women and for menopause? Yeah, that's that was the reason that really drew me to the prior company, that there are a lot of uh, therapies, cool therapies, different types of ice-like products for orthopedic injury. But I fell in love with with the company because of the products for women. There really wasn't anything in the marketplace for women with menopause other than hormone replacement therapy, which can be risky for a variety of reasons. So that signature product was what really inspired me to secure the the financing, and that's what I got the license to the patent, and then really build out that whole line of products as a, a separate brand at opalcool.com just focused on women and women's health. It's amazing that there aren't more products aimed at that market. I mean, it's half the population, right? It is. Every day in the U.S., 5,000 women enter menopause. So it's a big market. Um, it's a it's a multi-billion-dollar you know, market worldwide. And uh, I, I think back to your point, when, when women are running companies, um, they think about products that are going to benefit other women. Mm-hmm. And because there were so few female um, CEOs and founders, it just hasn't been a focus for research and development by a, a lot of other companies. So interesting. So so when you launched Xena Therapies, the parent company for these products you're talking about, how much money did you raise? Well, it's, I secured... A, I don't know if I want to actually go into the exact numbers for that, um, but I secured enough financing that I felt very confident that I'd have enough runway to get the products to market. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't raise it from other sources. I actually secured the financing on my own for oh. bank financing to be able to launch this company. Oh, interesting. And, and why did you decide to go that route as opposed to hitting up VCs? Well, I had raised the $34 million, so, of course, everybody would naturally think that I would want to raise capital on my own for this company. But what I learned through the process of doing the Series A round for Recombinetics is 
there, there's there's some art and there's some science to getting the right valuation for a company to determine what the stock is worth and what the company might be valued at. And I I had the choice of thinking through, should I raise some convertible debt that could be then redeemed for stock 18 months later? Or if I knew that I had to repay convertible debt to other investors anyway down the road, why not just secure the financing on my own? And then later, if we need to, um, we could just do a, a, a round, a capital raise. When I know when I've got sales on the books and we know better the value of the company, I didn't want to undervalue the opportunity by bringing in other people's money at that time. I wanted to maximize what I could do on my own before I decided to go seek outside investment. They didn't teach you that in journalism school. (laughs) (laughs) No, they didn't. And they didn't teach me that in MBA school either. Really? Um, These these are the things that I learned really through the capital raise at Recombinetics. You learn a lot from venture capital firms and hedge funds and other investors. Um, That's a trial by fire learning for me, but it's probably the most valuable skill set. The greatest thing that I took away from Recombinetics is understanding how that world financing and capital raising works. Yeah, absolutely. So you've literally just started this company. You're so excited. It's this new chapter. And then COVID-19. Obviously, you're you're not alone. Lots of companies ground to a halt. But when you've just started something, that has to feel so scary. Uh, how, yeah, how did it, just, it feel? It, it felt like a kick in the gut um, because I was so excited about the potential of this and being able to run it the way that we wanted to run it here in Red Wing. And, but the, the products that they were most known for at that time, keep in mind we hadn't launched Opal yet, were the other products that we now call Onyx Cool. And those were being sold into hospitals and clinics all the places that shut down where you couldn't get back into with mm-hmm. COVID-19. So we really had to shift our marketing and sales strategy to be more, you know, direct to consumer and e-commerce. Unfortunately, this is a technology that is so unique. There aren't a lot of people who know about it or know to search for it. So while everybody else was shutting down during COVID-19 and kind of retrenching or burying their head in the sand about what to do next. I, I decided to double down on investment and and bought ads. In fact, hmm. I, I bought ads on Twin Cities Business um, because I, I thought them. these people are reading. The, they're still reading the news. They want to know what's going to be happening to their business. They're scared about their business. So I want them to know about my business while they're thinking about theirs. And how has that been going? Are, are you getting traction direct to consumer? Yeah, it, we are. Um, again, it, there's a little bit of time it takes to get people to understand and know your product. But out of that has come a lot of awareness and, and other partnership opportunities. And so I, I think that was something that was really important to do. Instead of retrenching and just hoarding my own cash, I, I kept trying to spend my way through this um, to, to not lose the momentum we were beginning to get on the business. Sure. Um, what is the business plan, though? I mean, is it is it directed mostly at your sales going through the healthcare industry, or is direct-to-consumer a big part of it? It, it depends. 
depends on the brand. So Onyx Cool, which is really targeted to the orthopedic sports injuries, we'll do a lot of B2B business there too, selling into hospitals and clinics and surgery centers. But we'll do probably, I hope to be at least an equal share of direct-to-consumer business um, through the website and through other sales uh, strategies. Opal will be the opposite. That will be almost exclusively direct-to-consumer, although we will probably, we do hope to sell into hospitals and uh, through OBGYNs who are treating women with menopause. We also have partnerships and are selling into chiropractic clinics um, where a lot of the patients, over I think 60% or more of patients in chiropractic clinics are women, and a lot of them are in this right age range to purchase those products. So people that are seeking chiropractic care typically also like other holistic options, and because the Opal Cool Wrap is you know, non-pharmacological, drug-free, natural therapy. It fits well in selling into some of those um, B2B spaces, too. Sure. In, in addition to um, quickly switching your marketing strategy, I imagine you had to make some changes on the manu- manufacturing side as well, even though you're a, a small team. What has that been like? Well, um, we initially, we even toyed with what a lot of companies were thinking about doing or doing, which was getting into the PPE, personal protective equipment space, and actually looked at if we could convert our manufacturing plant to, to do that, and it just didn't make sense. So after trying to see if we could go down that road, we really decided to stick to our core business and focus on what can we do to get more sales and make this company more successful. And we took the time to also kind of reorganize and, and get better process and production going here at the plant. So we've been able to kind of move a few things around to make it make more sense, which you you don't know until you're really operating the company. So mm-hmm. I think I think we've used this time during COVID to the best of our ability to really prepare our business for success. Sure. So how how long is it going to take? What what are what is your expectation? Where would you like this company to be in a year? Is it going to take longer than that to to really get these products off the ground? Yeah, I I feel like we're I, with COVID. I feel like we're we're probably going to be about 6 months behind where I I had hoped we would be. However, we've had some really great things that have happened and some other uh, partnerships that really affirm that these products are are, are going to do great once people know about them. Um, I've got, we're going to have a, I, I can't say which one, but we're going to be on a national media appearance in July with our Opal products. So that will be really exciting. Um, we've been booked by QVC for the Onyx products in late August or September. Um, So that will also help accelerate growth. So there are things like that that are really great signs of uh, that this company is going to do well. Um, But it's still there's still so many unknowns, Allison, with when hospitals will be back fully up the swing. I wish I had a crystal ball that said I'll be at five million in (laughs) revenue by X, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 difficult. Are you are you okay? Are you a person who can can roll with that kind of uncertainty, or is that is that difficult to stomach? 
Oh, I, I am good at rolling with the unknown. Um, my whole career has kind of been adapting to the next new opportunity and something that I never expected that would lie ahead. I, I feel really great about the products. I feel great about the reception that we're getting from people who have used the products. So I, I'm very, um, I'm very bullish on the future of this company. That's great. And once the company is successful and and clipping along, then will you be looking for the next thing? Is it is it the startup and the getting it ready that that is really what what you what drives you, or is this a company you think you'd stay with? Well, this well, it's my company, so I could see I I, I will be here until somebody tells gives me a, a check so big that I. I'm happy to walk away from it. Um, but I love I love what we make, and I love our mission, and I love especially the cool products for hot women in our Opal line. So this is part of who I am, my own personal mission of, of helping other women succeed in, in life or their business and with their own health. So I, I couldn't be happier than what I'm doing right now. Um, but, but I always feel that way when I'm in a job. So... I could see adding new products. I could see adding new companies or brands or divisions under the Xenotherapies brand too, and launching those from here. So, if you if you had to do it over again, and you look at where you are now, and you're happy with where you are now, would you have done anything differently leading you to this point? No, I don't think you can ever look in the rearview mirror and wonder what if. I feel like I've been really fortunate, and I've uh, I've made some bets on things that probably other people wouldn't have. I've taken some risks or tried things in my career that other people might not have been willing to do, but it's always worked out. It's always worked out for the better. Even if I didn't know it at the time when I lost the campaign for Congress, I was, you know, very disappointed in that, but that opened up the new door Um of going to Northwest Airlines and getting to be part of the Northwest Delta merger team. So everything, I think, has worked out as it should. And uh, I've just been really fortunate along the way, and I, I don't think I'd, I'd change a thing. That's great. That's great. Any advice for, I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to, are going to be very envious and think, gosh, I want to, I want to run a company. What, what is your best piece of, of business advice overall from everything you've learned? Yeah, you know, for anybody that wants to start or run a company, I encourage them to do so. But you just have to go in with eyes wide open because it's it's really hard, and it's it's your own. It's either your own money or you're relying on other people's money, and that that creates a, a big responsibility to your investors if you're taking in capital, um, and really to your employees too to make sure that you're running a company that will keep them employed. So my advice would be, if you've, if you've got the heart for it, do it. But you also have to have the stomach for it because hmm. when you're the one in charge and it's your money or your business, it's, it's you and it's your reputation and, and that, that, that carries some responsibility. But right. anyone who has a tolerance for risk certainly has the ability to do everything that I've done and more. 
Right. That's probably why I'm still in journalism, Tammy. What can I tell you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's such an amazing story. I learn something every time I talk to you. I can't wait to see what happens with this latest venture. And I can't wait to get me some gal pals. I got to try those out. Please do. Please do. Order online right now. We've got a promotion happening for um, the, the Onyx products right now. And if people are listening to your podcast, they can get Onyx or Opal. And they can use the promo code COOL25 and get 25% off. Always selling. I love it, Tammy. Thank you so much. (laughs) Stick around, everybody. Next, we're going to go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Tammy, best of luck with everything, and thanks so much. Thank you, Allison. One of the interesting things that Xena Therapies brings to mind and that we've been hearing about with other med tech startups is this blurring of the medical space and the consumer space and founders who are going direct to customers with things that we might have thought about as medical in in past years. Let's bring in an expert to talk about just that. Dan McLaughlin is the director of the Center for Innovation in the Business of Healthcare in the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. So I'm curious, you heard Tammy talk about Xenotherapies. We've talked about other med tech related startups here on By All Means. What's going on? Is this a good time for a founder, an entrepreneur to be taking medical related things, whether it's a cooling device or something for menopause, direct to consumer? Well, interestingly enough, because of the COVID-19 crisis, a lot of the healthcare system that I grew up with in my years in the healthcare delivery system has just kind of been turned on its head. And um, not only for the fact of the disease, but because of the fact that a lot of people have had to get virtual care. And turns out we thought that might work and it works great. Mm. And so there's a, there's a lot of people that are using um, virtual systems and kind of do, becoming their own doctor in lots of ways um, at the advice of their physicians. And so the direct to consumer market, I think, is going to be really strong because people are going to be buying their own medical devices. They're going to have their own little clinic in their home. And guess what? It works pretty well and people like it. So wow. that might be a new part of the system that we, um, those of us who've been kind of technology types that have said, yeah, we got to do more online. Boom, we're going to be doing a lot more of it. I've said this to my friend. I said, I think it's the end of the waiting room. I don't think we're ever going to go sit in a waiting room for a doctor anymore. Really? So, um, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, you can't do it today because of the infection control, but I think it's such an unpleasant thing to do, right? When you think about sitting in a waiting room mm-hmm. and then, and when then you go and you just go online, you don't have to drive any place and you get a pretty good video connection and you've done the other stuff you need to with the doctor lab test. You might have to go someplace to get the lab test, but, um, you know, all of a sudden you're talking to the doctor and they have a better ability to actually look at their computer records and everything because they can see you on one screen and look at the records on the other. So I think it's working pretty well. So that means the direct to consumer market of buying devices like uh, the ones that we heard in this uh, interview are pretty exciting because I think they'll sell a lot that way. Very interesting. So you see the the pandemic as maybe an accelerator of where we're heading. This isn't just a a, a temporary telemed is is more the way of the future in your mind. 
I think so. And uh, we have a grant from the GHR Foundation to uh, study uh, consumers' use of telemedicine. And we were going to do it about six months ago, and then we got a little bit behind, and then uh, COVID came along, and we kind of put it at a halt. I'm glad we're waiting because I think we're going to see dramatic changes in the ways people are using telemedicine right now. Wow. Yeah, I bet it's going to be quite a different survey now after uh, yeah. after staying at home for many months. Very interesting. Well, can't wait to, to hear the results of that. Dan, thanks for your time. And thanks to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Thanks. Thank you for listening to By All Means. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. If you have the chance, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. And thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make By All Means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed By All Means. By All Means.